going on everybody and welcome to the fifth episode of the major league baseball takeover podcast brought to you by the takeover podcast network alongside matthew daniel i am chris lavalley and we have an exciting show for you all matt what can they expect this week you can expect me to be sad because the yankees are up 2-0 on the Sox to start the season series brian cashman just flamethrowers aaron judge in the public and throws out the contract details we've got nats versus mets getting chippy uh, we are going to discuss some baseball players that we hate in our Two Angry Men segment. And uh, we're going to wrap it up first name basis this week. And we're going to talk about a favorite topic of ours since we started podcasting together. LeBron James missing the playoffs and uh, Tiger Woods having a rough weekend at the Masters. But before we jump into the podcast, we have to tell you about an exciting and fun opportunity for all of you who love to play fantasy sports. We here at the Takeover Sports Network have teamed up with Prize Picks, and they have a special offer for all of you listeners and viewers. New users that deposit and use the promo code Takeover will receive a hundred percent instant deposit match of up to hundred dollars. Prize Picks is the easy way to play daily. You pick two, five players and an over/under on their projections, and you can win up to ten times in the, on any entry. It's just you versus the projected numbers. Prize Picks has a ton of stats to choose from, including points, rebounds, assists, three pointers, fantasy points, and more. Prize Picks also allows mixed sports entries. For example, you can take the over on LeBron combined with the under on Mahomes in the same entry. Prize Picks offers every sport you can think of, like NFL, college football, NBA, college basketball, MLB, soccer, MMA, and more. Prize Picks has an award winning, easy to use mobile app, which you can find both on the App Store and Google Play. Prize pick entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. So if you're looking for a fun and easy way to play daily fantasy, be sure to check out Prize Picks and don't forget to use the promo code TAKEOVER so they know that we sent you. That's Prize Picks, promo code TAKEOVER. And now let's jump right back into the pod. So as Matt said, the Yankees are up two games to none in the season against the Red Sox. The first game went 11 innings and it was a thriller. The Yankees won six to five. The second game, the Yankees won, which was yesterday being Saturday, they won four to two. Oh. I'm going to let you touch on on where you feel about your Red Sox, and I'll touch on how I'm feeling about my Yankees, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, for sure. So I think the first thing the first thing that has to be mentioned is both games were super competitive um, from from the word go. It, every time the Sox took a lead in Game One, the Yankees would climb right back into it. You know, there was there was clutch plays from both sides. You know, and uh, and then a walk off hit. Uh, you know. For, for the Yankees sealed it. And I think I think it, this is going to be the story. We talked about this in our AL preview. I think this is going to be the story for these two teams this year. Every time they play each other, it's just going to be a battle. I don't think we're going to see a lot of like six nothing scores, right? Like it's going to be close and low scoring and it's going to come down to who can put some runs on or it's just going to be a parade. 
around the bases. And we really haven't seen that from either team in these first two. I know 6-5 was the score in the first game, but that's not anything to be excited about as far as the offensive potential of these two teams. I think, honestly, it, there's two things. I The Sox didn't really do anything that defining. I mean, Xander Bogarts hurt his hamstring game one. You know, um, you know, Devers hit a homer, Verdugo hit a homer. Like, it's good. The problem is the Sox aren't getting on base in the series really well at all, um, despite their five runs in game one. The, there's a lot of overs. Kiki Hernandez went over five yesterday. You know, Rafi went one for four. Like, that's fine. But you can't – with all these guys, I feel like the Red Sox are going to run into some of the same problems the Yankees did last year, where it's like if the bats are not hot, we're in trouble. Um, that's almost I, – I did say preseason that I thought that we could, you know, put up some runs in a more conventional way. But I'm watching these guys for two days, and I'm excited to watch the primetime game tonight. I don't, I don't see anybody going out of their way to just get on the bag. Um, there's a lot of swinging, a lot of swinging happening between between these two teams right now, and the Yankees have come out on top so far. Yeah, I mean the, the Yankees have been fortunate. Uh, they've been fortunate that Stanton uh, picked up where he left off last season. He's been hot. He's got two home runs in two games. My concern, as it's going to be all season long, is for pitching. Uh, and I know we did we did pretty well yesterday, but. Garrett Cole only going four innings and getting up three runs in the first on the first game of the season is extremely concerning. And the fact that he was blaming the opening day ceremonies for delaying his start time is even more concerning because to me that's just that's about as mentally weak as you can possibly get. Sounds it, like a guy it, who's mad that he can't use pine tar. <laughs> for me, it's just you know, man, it's it's got nothing to do with you being delayed five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever the hell it is. Uh, it has nothing to do with the fact that you gave up three runs in one inning, especially in the yeah. first inning. You you just pitch like crap and own it. Just own it and move on from it. But the fact that you're, you're seeking out excuses and that the New York media is backing him on it is even more alarming. If, if I was working in it for any New York Post, New York Times, doesn't matter, and I'm covering the Yankees, I would be crucifying him coming up with that type of excuse yeah so yeah you're right the the bats are on the bats are hot for both teams uh which is great and i agree with you though if as soon as the yankees bats cool down i don't know how good they're going to be i just and again it's the first first season i mean excuse me the first series for a very very long season but i think the yankees have just been fortunate that their bats have been moving as well as they have because you know you give again you give up three runs in the thing i when I scored, because I didn't, I wasn't able to watch the first game. Unfortunately, when I saw the score was three nothing, I rolled my eyes and went, "Here we go, here we go. This is this is exactly what I was afraid of was going to happen." And if it's coming at, with our ace already, it's just it, like I said, we're very fortunate. Uh, Judge has played well, Stains played well, Rizzo's doing really well. So I mean, we're the the bats that are supposed to be hitting are hitting. But again, if as soon as we hit a cool down period, it's going to get tougher. Um, and I also think it's a benefit the Yankees are playing at home. You know, I, I think if, if honestly, if it was reversed, if the Yankees were playing at Fenway Park, I wouldn't be shocked if the Red Sox were up to nothing. So I do yes. think as much as people don't talk about home field advantage as much as they used to, I think home field advantage is a huge, especially in rivalry games like this, I think that that has a yes. lot to do with the outcome. 
The other thing, the thing that you didn't talk about at all that I think is most significant about this series so far, and that's why I kind of, I, did, I didn't have a lot of exciting Red Sox takes for this segment because I, I, it was what I expected. They're figuring it out, right? They're figuring them out their lineup. They're figuring out how to, you know, how to work together and how to play. The pitching was just okay. You know, uh, Uvalde's not a opening day starter. Hello. I'm pretty sure I called that one. Um, the Yankees bullpen and Luis Severino getting four innings out of him the second game. Chad Green comes in, has a good inning both games. This that's what if you're a Yankees fan, yes, the Cole start, but that's the thing. Any pitcher in the league can give up three runs on the on opening day in the first inning. Like Cole's gonna settle in, he's gonna win 20 games, he'll probably be a Cy Young candidate, he'll have a sub, you know, two ERA or whatever, sub three ERA. He'll be ridiculous this year. He'll have a hundred and something strikeouts. And the fact that you got support for Garrett Cole both in the game and then the following start from Severino is the most significant thing if you're a Yankees fan. And honestly, it's significant for the AL East, which is all that matters in the American League anyway. To see the Yankees successfully navigate two straight games of pitching. One day, your offense had to compensate for a bad start from your ace. The next day, you strung together nine solid innings of of pitching work, you know, and there's something to be said. If Severino is going to pitch like that and he can get stretched out as the season goes on and be anything close to what he was pre-injury a couple of years ago, that changes the whole outlook of this Yankees season. Well, I mean, the bullpen was never something that I was concerned about. I mean, uh, we've talked about, I talked about their bullpen a couple episodes ago. That's, that's their strength. Uh, they've, they've had a good bullpen for like the last three or four years. The problem being, though, is how quickly does that bullpen get burnt out? If we're only right. getting four to five innings from every starter, at a certain point, they're going to get fried. Uh, so that's why I didn't bring it up, mainly just because it's not something – it's something that I expect. I expect our bullpen to do well. It's how many innings am I going to get from my starters that's the problem. Who closed for you? Chapman. Yesterday was Chapman. Because I know – Chad Green was getting pushed farther and farther back. And the, the closer he got to the ninth inning last year, the worse and worse he looked. And it was nice yeah. to see him go out in the fifth and pitch a perfect frame. You know? Yeah, no. Chapman, have, Chapman still has something left in the tank. I just don't – but again, for him, it's – he's good early in the season. It's when we get to August and September where he starts wavering. So yeah. – Chapman for me is, is more seeing how he does in the long term rather than the short term because I, I I don't have any issues with Chapman going out there early on in the season. It's what's going to happen later on in the season. Same thing with our bullpen. That's that's where my concern lies. It's later into the season. We could start off guns blazing. We could look. Re- we could be in first place coming All Star break. The problem is is how burnt out is our bullpen in July, in August, and September. That's where the concern is going to lie for me. I want to apologize to anybody watching the show right now for uh, my like um, terrorist hostage tape background I have going on here. I'm on vacation and I just snagged a spare bedroom wherever I could set up my laptop to do the show. <laughs> so I probably yeah, kind of looks like it's been like this, the uh, the new set for Silence of the Lambs over there. Yeah, I'm not being held against my will here. It's okay. Um, uh, so the, the next headline we wanted to jump into is 
uh, Aaron Judge, speaking of the Yankees, turned down an extension offer of $213.5 million for, for the next seven seasons. Now, the reason why we know the the specifics of this extension is because Brian Cashman decided that he was just going to completely, I, I guess, embarrass Aaron Judge if he could, uh, because he was upset that Judge didn't want to take the offer. Uh, so the way that this contract would have broken down was Judge is making $17 million this year. And then he's going to make an average annual salary of about $30.5 million over the next seven seasons. Seven seasons, excuse me. Judge wants an eight-year deal. He also wants an average annual salary closer to Mike Trout's $36 million rather than the $30.5 million that the Yankees are offering him. And the Yankees offer would give him the second highest average annual value among outfielders, just slightly ahead of Mookie Betts' $30.4 million. Brian Cashman just continues to prove to me why he should be fired why you would go to the media and try to embarrass your star player because he doesn't like the extension that you offered him is absolutely absurd. Just it's just to me, it continues to prove why Brian Cashman should be let go immediately. The reason that you do that, if you're Brian Cashman, it well look, let's start here before we even talk about why Brian Cashman goes to the media with this, which you only do if you know you're not going to be there anymore. He's got to know. If I don't lock Judge, unless we win a World Series, if I don't lock Judge into a long-term contract, I'm gone. Like, that's my main job, is to bring stars and keep the stars that we have and produce winning seasons and go compete for championships. Like, that's your only job as the general manager of of the Yankees. Aaron Judge thinks way too highly of himself. If we are talking about, uh, not that it works this way. The market is the market, right? It happens with NFL quarterbacks all the time. Aaron Rodgers wants to be paid one more dollar than whoever the next highest paid guy is in guaranteed money. All of this nonsense. The contract that Mookie has is more representative of Mookie's value than this contract the Yankees offered Aaron Judge was representative of Aaron Judge's value. Mookie Betts is every bit the offensive player that Aaron Judge is, and he does way more defensively. The reason Mike Trout is paid $36 million a year is because Mike Trout is the best player in baseball. Aaron Judge can't shine Mike Trout's shoes, and I like Aaron Judge in terms of talent. So the fact that he thinks that he's worth anywhere near the same annual value as Mike Trout, just on an objective level, it's insane. But I understand that the reality is these players see the market and the market just continues to reset itself. It happened with Bryce Harper's contract. It happened with Mookie's contract. It happened with Trout's contract. I get it. But honestly, Aaron Judge, just take the $30 million a year and shut up. You don't deserve Mike Trout money. I'm not saying he deserves Mike Trout money. I'm saying that for the Yankees to be stubborn about giving him an eighth year on the contract is just stupid. If that's what the sticking point is, because honestly, I think it's it's similar to the Freddie Freeman aspect, where I don't know if it was necessarily money. It was more of, I want that extra year. I I was going to ask you about that. Until I'm 38 or 39 years old. In the context of this, of your judge take that you're about to give, yeah. can you explain to me why the hell this matters? Just who cares? <laughs> if you're going to pay him for seven years, pay him for eight. 
Well, that's the thing is I'm like, if he wants an extra year, give him the extra year. It, at the end of the day, you're talking an extra $30 million. You're, the, the Yankees are worth $6 billion. You're telling me that that extra $30 million is really going to strap you? For, from what? Resigning Giancarlo Stanton for another $500 million? Like, I mean, I, like, I don't understand what an extra $30 million is going to do. Judge, I think, the reason why Judge has an inflated perception of himself is because the Yankees have given him an inflated perception of himself. They've made him into the face of that franchise. He's the biggest star in New York right now. Mm. There, uh, there's not, because Eli Manning's not there anymore. You don't have a star at the Knicks. I mean, maybe Tom Thibodeau's the star at the Knicks. I don't know. Tom but Thibodeau the Knicks don't have a superstar. <laughs> uh, you know, no one cares about the Brooklyn Nets. So it, it really is, Aaron Judge is the face of New York. So both the New York media and the New York Yankees, and also Major League Baseball has made Aaron Judge one of the faces of, of the league. Yeah. So he's looking at Mookie Betts, who's arguably the face of the Dodgers. He's looking at Mike Trout, who is not just the face of the Angels, but the face of baseball. And he's looking at what Bryce Harper got. He's looking at what Francisco Lindor just got paid. And he's sitting there going, I'm the face of this franchise. I'm one of the faces of baseball. And you guys are going to give me $6 million less than Mike Trout? I don't even think he want. I'm not even saying that he believes he should get paid what Mike Trout gets paid. I'm thinking if you up the offer an extra two million dollars a year, he probably would have been fine with it. Which again, overall, over the course of seven, excuse me, eight years, we're talking an extra sixteen million dollars. That's not going to hurt the Yankees whatsoever. So the negotiating the negotiating ploys that Cashman is doing right now makes no sense. Now I have said before. If you can trade Judge and get some pitchers, you do that. But if you're not even looking to trade him for anything, the fact that you're going to sit back and allow a one-year deal plus maybe 10 to $16 million get in the way of keeping him, you're a moron. Like You, just, you, you are a clear and utter moron. And I don't know what else to say about it. So I have two questions about this then. One... Cashman can't possibly think that this is going to help him sign Judge to this contract, right? Like, what's Cashman's motivation for going to the media? Is it just to make himself look better when the axe inevitably falls? To be like, hey, this is what we offered Aaron Judge. It's a more than reasonable contract. He thinks he's worth Mike Trout money. Is that narrative that he's trying to create in the media? Yeah, I think he's trying to cover his own ass. I really do. I think that's all this is, is him covering his own ass. But the problem is, is that now you have Aaron Judge saying, hey, look, I'll go to free agency. I'm not afraid to go to free agency. The Yankees can offer me money just like every other team offers me money. And here's the thing. The Yankees are going to get outbid. Yeah. And are. he'll go play in Los Angeles with everybody else next season. And that'll just he make him even will. happier. He probably will. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If Aaron Judge ends up on that L.A. Dodgers roster, we're lighting this thing on fire. That with Mookie Betts, the, the both of them in that lineup would be insanity. Along with Freeman and everybody else, that would be absurd. Let's not forget. Let's not forget. Uh, what's his name? The shortstop. You want to know where he'll end up? Boston. That's where he'll go because the Red Sox will outbid the Yankees for him. That'd be great. I would love Aaron Judge in Boston. I'm. 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 I, that's my biggest fear. Is that's where he would end up. Because at this point, Ugh. if I was Aaron Judge, who would I want to go to? Yeah, I'd want to go to the Yankees rival. I would do the yeah. exact same thing. Spit in their face, all over a couple million dollars a year. Screw you. I'll go there. 
Trey Turner, by the way, was the name I was trying to. Think yeah, of. Trey Turner. Yep. Um, so the second question is, if you're the Steinbrenner kids, <laughs> what? How are you allowing this to happen? Because George would never. Either those words would have come from George Steinbrenner to the media himself, or he would have absolutely shut this down. And frankly, Aaron Judge would never have not signed a contract if George Steinbrenner was still the owner of the Yankees. Because George would have gone, what, $30 million's not enough? All right, Aaron, here you go. Right, exactly. I... <sighs> I don't even know where the Steinbrenner kids are anymore. I don't even know if they're there. Like they, yeah. they are. They have been so silent over the last couple seasons. They come, they they come in at the end of the season. They say a few words and then they disappear again. They've, they should honestly sell the, this baseball team. They should, they should sell the team. Get your six billion or seven billion or whatever the hell you're going to get, and walk away and allow somebody else to buy this team because it's since George passed away. And they won the, the 2009 World Series. This team has slowly, slowly died. Like, it, as an organization, it's not the same. Yeah. It's what you will about Steinbrenner. He was an ass. He could be, he was kind of not the best person in the world. But the dude, in my opinion, was the best owner I've ever seen in sports because he was never afraid to spend money. He was never afraid to put the best product that he believed on the field. And he, like you're saying, would not be pinching pennies over a couple million here, a couple million there. He would do whatever it took to sign the star player that he believed helped him in the promised land. And for whatever reason, the, this this new regime of Steinbrenners, they, they'll, they'll pay certain players but they don't pay the players that the fans are sitting back, sitting here going, this is the guy you pay. You don't go pick up Giancarlo Stan's massive contract, although, yes, he's producing now. But for the first couple of years, he wasn't. You don't pick up this massive contract. And then now when Aaron Judge, who's our homegrown superstar, wants to stay, now you guys are worried about a couple million? It just, yeah. it, again, it, it makes no sense. I've been on the bandwagon for a while that I think the Steinbrenners should go. They should sell the team and we should get you know picked up by somebody else. I don't care who the hell it is. Um, with my luck, it would be LeBron James. But somebody else to uh, to buy the Yankees would be, to me, would be ideal. I've got one thing to say in defense of Aaron Judge here, um, because basically we just ripped everybody involved for the most part, um, or I specifically did, uh, because you know, to stop complaining about your thirty million dollars a year. But <laughs> the one thing I'll say in defense of Aaron Judge is if you look at the valuations of the franchises and how much money they're worth, the Yankees are worth the most money in baseball, period, the end. So if you're worth the most money in baseball, that means you have the most money to work with in baseball, and there's no excuse for you not to pay Aaron Judge. That's the only thing. Like It is ridiculous. It is objectively unreasonable of Aaron Judge to say, no, I want you know, eight years with 36 guaranteed a year. Like that's wild. Like $300 million, bro. Like, come on. Um, but at the same time, if you're just like, if you take any other contracts, any other top tier contract in major league baseball and compare it to the valuation of the team and you do it on a percentage basis, then there actually is an argument for judge just purely based on the fact that he's the biggest star on the most expensive team in terms of right. value. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the only like devil's advocate piece that I would throw out there in, in sort of defensive judge. All right. And finally, Mets versus Nationals. Maybe we have a new rivalry. Maybe we don't.
But Francisco Lindor exited in the fifth inning Friday night against the Nationals after being hit in the helmet. The bench is cleared. The Mets were hit three times in that 5-1 to one victory. Steve Shizik, who is the Nationals pitcher, was ejected from the game. But according to the crew chief, it wasn't because he hit Lindor, but it was because he was escalating tensions from the benches being cleared. Here's the deal. Okay, on this one, A, I have no sympathy for anything that happens with Francisco Lindor because I think he's a giant bum. That's number one. Number two, he the Chizik was throwing high and tight. Lindor leaned in for a punt and got beaned in the head. That was his fault for not dodging that pitch as far as I'm concerned. It wasn't like Chizik was aiming for his head. He was clearly trying to throw him high and tight. Lindor went in for a bunt, and he got he obviously when you go in for a bunt, it's a hell of a lot harder to dodge a pitch. Right. And he got, you know, got hit. It is what it is. Like the bench is being cleared. That's whatever. I mean, there was that was the that's third hit happen. by pitch yeah. at that point in time. So I get that. Like Buck Walter running out there and being like, oh, he could have killed somebody doing that, this, that, and the other. So it was intentional. If it was intentional, I get you getting all riled up about it. Like if it, if we're talking like Roger Clemens throwing at Mike Piazza type deal, that's that's a completely different story. When you're throwing high and tight on somebody. And he leans into the pitch and he gets hit. It happens. It's baseball. It, I, I, like, I, I just, I do like the rivalry aspect of it, though. Like, I hope that this continues to stay chipping. Like, I want this. Th- this would be great. It would be great. I think in order for it to be called a proper rivalry, either team would have to be good. I don't think you can have two <laughs> shitty teams that just really don't like each other and call it a rivalry. You know, like, That's fair. you know. You know what I mean? Like the like the Orioles and the Diamondbacks can't be a rivalry. It could be the new dumpster fire. That's what you could call it. just the dumpster yeah. fire rivalry. Yeah. I just want to say, meanwhile, while while the Washington pitchers are throwing at Mets players, Chris Bassett's just out here, just twirling it, man, just absolutely twirling it for the Mets. And I was here, I am here, I am talking about how the Mets have no pitching and they're going to go nowhere this year. And here comes Chris Bassett out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Quality the Mets are like sneaky good, man. The Mets, the Mets are not sneaky good. good. No, they're not going to be sneaky good. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the first half of the season. This is the time when they get all their good players out there. They play really well. And then once the All-Star break, it's, you know, Listen, then they'll fall the Cubs, The Cubs beat the Brewers day one, opening day. Fire <laughs> it up, baby. My Cubbies, my Cubbies looking good. Uh, yeah, no. So I just thought it was the, the reason why we brought this up in headlines was just because the amount of freak out over getting hit in the head over something to me that was this anodyne doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't. It, it He leaned in for a bunt and he got hit in the ear or the head or I don't know. They, he claimed that there was a cracked tooth. I don't know if there's truth to that or not, but I just I didn't see what the big deal was. Everybody was making a massive Massive deal over nothing. And the, by the way, if you clear your bench and you don't throw a punch, everyone should get ejected. If you're going to clear the benches, somebody needs to start swinging. If, if you're not going to swing, then everyone, then the game should just be just be considered a forfeit and we move on. Yeah, because look, I'm so tired of this tough guy mantra of, oh, I'm going to go. And those are the jackasses in the bullpen running out there like, oh, yeah, we're going to go do something. And they like get there and they stop. It's a benches clearing brawl. Not a benches clearing verbal altercation. Right, exactly. All right. Like, if it's not going to be a fight, 
then just shut up and stay sitting. First of all, let's be clear. You're baseball players. <laughs> there is no contact in your sport, period. That's part of the reason why it's such a big deal that he got hit in the head with a ball, right? Because they're baseball players. Boo-hoo. Oh, my God. You got hit. Guess what? If you're throwing 95 miles an hour for a couple of hours straight, 50, 60 pitches, like, one might get away from you, especially if you're locating specifically in that area of the strike zone. Let me see if I can get my hand there. If you're looking to hit the, put the ball right here, right here on the very top corner all the time because you know Lindor can't hit that pitch, which he can't, by the way. He can't hit many pitches after the I mean, way he played yeah. last year. <laughs> but if you're trying to jam them up, especially if you're in a situation where you are, you as a pitcher or you as a staff are acknowledging that a bunt is in play here, right? And Lindor's fast. So maybe it makes sense for Lindor to lay one down and try and get to first, or at the very least, it's a sacrifice to advance the runner. Right. Why wouldn't you put it high and tight? That's the smart play. And if you're leaning in and he's throwing the ball a little bit outside of the strike zone up on the upper corner, yeah, you're going to get hit. And it's not his fault that Francisco Lindor is too short and got hit in the head instead of the shoulder. All right? Like, the outrage, the false outrage is – that's just the, that's the culture we live in. That's ESPN and the media. That's baseball tonight. Like, that's what this has become is this, this, this false – out? oh, it's Francisco Lindor. Dude. Like, where are the days of, of, of Pedro Martinez throwing Mike Zimmer to the ground? Like, we're like the, the good fights. Like, that's yeah. what I want. If you're going to do either that, baseball should just say, if you if you leave the bench, you get suspended. Like, yeah, go, it should be like the, the NBA. NH, do, the, do the NHL thing now, where, like, they, they pretty much outlawed fighting in the NHL. Do the same thing in baseball then. Like, if you leave the bench, you're suspended. Because yep. if you're going to clear the bench and you're not going to start throwing at each other, stop wasting everybody's time. Yeah. Just, just stop. The fake, the faux outrage is ridiculous. It's just, it's dumb. And Showalter, too, making the comment, what the hell did he say? Something to the effect of pretty much what you were talking about, about how after you throw 60 times, yeah, one's probably going to, you know, lose its, its – you're going to lose a little. you can't be perfect. It's the opening week of right. the season. Right. <laughs> he made some comment like, you know, it's really dangerous for a pitcher to throw like that. Like, if you know your pitcher doesn't have have that type of command, he shouldn't be throwing, throwing high and tight like that. And it's like, dude, how long have you been managing baseball? Like, are you kidding me? I, that bothers me more than anything. As a coach of a sport, for you to come out and say something that you know is objectively totally untrue just because it's on the side of your team really right. bothers me. Like, be intelligent enough and have enough respect for the game to call it what it is, right? If he wanted to come out and say, hey, you know, it kind of seemed intentional and that's messed up. That can't happen. Fine. Defend your player. But you don't know whether or not it was intentional, number one. And number two, you're not going to tell one of your pitchers not to throw a fastball high and inside because maybe his control is not quite as good as somebody else's and he might hit the guy. You're going to call the exactly. game the way that you want to call the game. So exactly. those comments are just asinine. Yeah. I'm, you know, I, I, I always talk about how, like, I like Buck Showalter, and then he says shit like this, and it makes me dislike him again. I, I just, like, he's, he's very hot and cold for me. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the players we hate because th this will be a this will be an interesting segment. Matt, I'm gonna let you go first. 
Do you have multiple players or do you just have one? Two angry men. I mean, it starts and ends with Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> okay. It starts okay. and ends with A-Rod. Look, I could go through a chronological history of Yankees players that I've hated over the years. Jason Giambi. Okay. Um, you know, Derek G- early Derek Jeter. I hated Derek Jeter. I learned to love and respect him as the rivalry grew. Um, I absolutely hated Jorge Posada. That guy. A lot of, I found that a lot of people hate Jorge Posada. Really Posada has why. a very punchable face. <laughs> A very punchable face. He looks a little bit like, um, what's his name? The guy from Karate Kid. Oh, okay. I can't think he of looks like, He looks like Daniel-san a little bit. He's got, he's got like that Brooklyn, like kind of like, I don't know. I've, I've, I'd like to give that guy a good crack to the jaw for sure. Um, but Alex Rodriguez is the most hateable baseball player of, of maybe my lifetime. Um, I, I just can't stand the guy. I can't stand him as a as a whatever he is now, an announcer, I guess. I couldn't stand him when he was a player. I thought he was always a total fraud. Every bit of his personality. It was like as disingenuous as Russell Wilson, but he was an asshole about it. Russell Wilson at least like tries to be like a nice, like good guy. Whereas like A-Rod just A-Rod tried to be as cool as Jeter, but could never be even close and it was so obvious that he was just a total douche that he couldn't even hide it well the thing about it is they were best friends up until he threw jeter under the bus for no reason and that's the that's the biggest thing about a-rod that i I don't think people i think people forget the fact that he and jeter went up through you know the farm system together like they they became really really close and Jeter considered him a close friend up until he had that magazine interview where A-Rod pretty much trashed Jeter. And like, well, you know, the only reason why he's considered good is because the Yankees team around him is so talented. He's not really that good. Yeah. Which, that just, and, and then, and then Jeter was, was good enough to be like, you know what? Yeah, I'll share a lot from the guy. I hate his guts. Yeah. But for the betterment of the team, bring him in. I don't care. Like if we're going to win baseball games, I don't give a shit. Um, so it's funny that you went Yankees because I am going to go Red Sox. I have two. One is Barry Bonds, just because of everything. I mean, I, I was like, wait a minute, Barry Bonds wasn't a Red Sox. <laughs> no, I'm just going to get Barry Bonds out of the way first. Barry Bonds, I can't stand Barry Bonds. Just it, if you're a baseball fan, what he did and the scandal that he created for baseball. Now he did open a lot of eyes too. Like a lot of people finally realized that there was a lot of cheating going on, but. To the fact that he just continued to lie. Like when your head grows at the rate that Barry Bonds' head grows, like do yourselves a favor if you don't know what I'm talking about. Check out Barry Bonds as a Pittsburgh Pirate. And then check out Barry Bonds as a San Francisco Giant like five years later. His yeah. head grew like seven sizes. It For the insane. record, he, anatomically your head stops growing when you're like 11. Yeah. He went from <laughs> having like a tennis ball to a basketball within a few years. So yeah. it it just – Everything that, that he did, the fact that he continued to lie and he played it off as if the media was attacking him all the time, the shit got old real quick. David Ortiz. Now, I don't hate David Ortiz, the person. I hate David Ortiz, the fact that people let him get away with the fact that he used performance-enhancing drugs. That's my issue with David Ortiz is the fact that, A, he gets away with it. B, people talk about him like he's a god. Because Wait, he is, he and there's no evidence. Cheated. There's he no evidence cheated. to support these unfounded claims. 
No, there was evidence. There was evidence. It, it was leaked that he was on. He was on the whatever it was that that email. The Mitchell yes, he was on the master list, but that could have been literally anything. He could have like accidentally breathed in some fucking Lysol that day. Oh God, I'm so sorry. We're not supposed to swear on this show. Um, okay. David Here's David Ortiz' defense is is my my hackles go up. Then my question I don't is, how did he go from being a mediocre player in, in Minnesota to all of a sudden becoming this home-run monster king in Boston? Uh, Overnight. It's a, little, it's a little something called practice, Chris. It's a little something called practice. Oh, okay. It's hard work and dedication. It's yeah, working okay. with a different swing coach. It's working okay. with, you know, it's, it's maturing as a player, as a man. Yeah, know. it's also called a syringe in your arm. That helps out too. <laughs> so here's the deal. As a person, I Poppy's like Ortiz. so gracious. How can you say that you hate him? I find him amusing. I think he's great on TV. Like I do like as a person, I like Ortiz. I can't stand though the the fact that he got away with and the fact that he went in first ballot is ridiculous. Absolutely absurd. What? If you're gonna put him in first ballot, then Clemens and Bonds, and Pettit, and everybody else who was popped with, with performance-enhancing drugs should still get into the Hall of Fame. I don't care the if you want to put them is, in their own separate way. The difference is those guys, we have like confirmation that they did, in fact, take PEDs in, in order to improve themselves. With Ortiz and a lot of the other players on that list that we don't really talk about, that often the same way with the same like ire that we talk about Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and these dudes is because there was no like clear like hey this guy took this it's still cloudy we know they showed up on the list we don't know for sure whether or not they actually did something that was you know to juice them up basically you know like we know for sure that Barry Bonds took some stuff Mm-hmm. You know, we know we know for sure that Jose Canseco took some stuff, mostly because he just won't stop telling us over and over and over again. <laughs> That's how he stays um, relevant. Yeah, I'm just saying uh, the first ballot thing. Unless we knew for sure that this that Poppy had taken specifically PEDs, like in the report, in the same way that we knew about Clemens, in the same way that we know about McGuire, in the same way you know about these other guys, Barry Bonds. I don't think you can I don't think that outweighs the clutch playoff performances and that's the sole reason that he became a first ballot hall of famer. No, I mean you can't I mean you can't ignore and I would never ignore what he did in the postseason. He's one of the best postseason performers of all time. There's no question about it. Um I will also add A-Rod to the list, although he did play for the Yankees. It would be a lot easier for me to have hated him if he wasn't on the Yankees. So it was kind of like a Everyone would come up to me and be like, I, you know, screw A-Rod. He's on your team. I don't know how the hell you, you root for him. I was like, I, I, I root for him because I want to win. I don't root for him because I like him. Yeah. Like, I, mean, I think there's been people throughout time that have had players on whatever team you root for. You don't necessarily like the player. You may even not like him as a person or her as a person. But you still root for them because you want your team to succeed. It's tough. Never liked A-Rod. The other player, too, that I'm going to bring up, is Bryce Harper. You want to talk about having a punchable face? I hate Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper has one of the most punchable faces of all time. I've learned to respect Bryce Harper. I gave Bryce Harper his due last year because he showed up and he he 
arguably, if he won the MVP, I wouldn't have been upset about it. He he was just he, as, he deserved it more than Otani did. Or no, sorry, and that was the National League. Yeah, that's okay. Kidding. But I, I still think but he, he still deserved, deserved it more than Otani did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, so I I give him his due. But I've never liked him. My biggest issue with him was the amount of fanfare he got. When he came up, he came up with Trout. Yeah. And it was always this Mike Trout versus Bryce Harper, who's going to be better? And I was always team Trout. Always. There was just the, the, mainly because of the way that Trout carried himself. Bryce Harper carried himself a lot like LeBron James did. Yeah. And we're going to talk about it. And this is always a teaser to go into what we're going to talk about in a moment anyway. But he was very arrogant about the way that he showed up. And then for me, the, the best thing ever was the Nationals winning the World Series the following year yep. after getting rid of Harper. After to me, Harper. that said everything you needed to know about who Bryce Harper was as a player, as a teammate, as a person. The fact that that team was able to finally get over that hump. I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say. Do you know who else I absolutely hate and I can't believe it took me this long to think about him? Well, please bring it up. I'll enjoy this. Johnny Damon. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> I hate Johnny Damon deep in my soul. Did you hate him as a Red Sox? No. I was okay. I loved the man as a Red Sox okay. with his with his flyaway hair and his diving catches in the outfield and his clutch hits. And then he abandoned us to go to the Yankees and had to be all clean cut. And he never and he sucked. He did. He fell apart. Same thing with Jacoby Ellsbury. Both of them. When they came over to New York, their body broke down. That one hurt me less. I didn't care as much about Ellsbury, but that was a signing the Yankees never should have made too. That was. But I hated Johnny Damon. Johnny Damon. Johnny Damon was one of the nicest guys, though. That's one thing I've always heard. Like Damon is probably one of the nicest professional athletes you'd ever meet. So he looked like Jesus too back when he played with the Red Sox. They could have cast him in Passion of the Christ, and it would have worked out perfectly. (laughs) Yeah, feel Jesus. All right, so we're going to go to our final segment this week, uh, and we're going to get a little off baseball here, which we seem to be doing lately on first-name basis. I'm That's sorry, not first-name basis. Yeah, uh, no. you got it right. Yeah, it is first-name first name basis. basis. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so we're going to talk a little Masters, a little Tiger Woodstock here, uh, because that is Matt's favorite, one of Matt's favorite athletes of all time. And uh, we're going to talk a little LeBron James, too, just because we like to revel in his misery. So. Yes. Anytime that we get to get excited about LeBron's failures, we uh, we try and pounce on it, and we just haven't had an outlet to talk about it in a while. No, we haven't. Um, so let's talk off with the, let's start off with Tiger, though. I mean, I think I think it's what he's been able to do. I know he played; he shot like crap on Saturday. It was not not good, but the fact that he's still there, the fact that he made the cut, to me, was more important and impactful than anything else. It he could shoot another seven over par today. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The fact that he's still walking the course, his body is still allowing him to to make it up and down those 18 holes in Augusta, I think says more about the, the A, the fact that he's healthy enough to do it is astounding. But the fact that he was shooting under par on Thursday was incredible. That alone was just mesmerizing. Not only did he shoot under par on Thursday, the one under but he left some scoring opportunities on the table to the point where I actually believed now, mind you, he was limping his way up and down the whole time. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not, I wouldn't say he's right. And I would imagine his doctors probably told him you probably shouldn't do this. And he's just doing it anyway, which makes me respect him even more. I've come to terms with the fact that he's probably now not ever going to pass Jack. 
which is a bet that you and I have had for a very long time and an argument we've been having for probably a decade at least. And it makes me a little bit sad because I do think that Tiger is the greatest of all time and it would feel good for him to pass Jack in majors. But just seeing him play 72 holes at Augusta is enough. If he just plays this one tournament every year, I don't care. I don't care. I just don't ever want to I don't ever want to be down here and it's usually every year when we're in Nags Head. I don't ever want to be down here in the Outer Banks and not have the Masters and to have the Masters on the TV and not see Tiger. I don't care about Scotty Scheffler. I don't care. I don't care. You're great. Congratulations, <laughs> Scotty. You're going to win the Masters and then you'll probably be irrelevant, just like Rory, just like Speeth just like all the rest of these guys that come in hot, win a couple of tournaments, and then fade into the background. The guy that has the staying power, the guy that matters, it has mattered for the longest and matters the most is Tiger Woods. No one will ever be to golf what Tiger was to golf, no matter how many times we think the next young guy's coming up and is going to be that dominant. We'll never see this again in our life. And for him to be able to play as bad of a day as he had yesterday, and I'm sure the wind, and I'm sure because the wind was gnarly yesterday, and I'm sure that his body being uh, three day, day three of walking this course, it's like 8,000 yards. It's nuts for, for the fact that he nearly died in a car accident last year. Like, it's nuts for him to be out there. And I, but then again, he could come out today and shoot five under because it's going to be beautiful weather today. And the way that they set up the course on Sunday is always to make scoring a possibility. I think, and I agree with you too. I, I wouldn't be shocked if the masters is the only major he plays from here on out, even though they, I did hear, I heard Van Pelt talking about how he's definitely going to play the open because it's at St. Andrews. And that's like the flattest golf course imaginable. So he could do, he, I mean, given that's the last tournament he won, I think you can make the argument that the reason why his score is declining as we go is because of, how much his body's getting beaten up by walking that course. So maybe putting a little hope here, he could compete in St. Andrews because of the less wear and tear it'll be on his body. Just a possibility. But I wouldn't be shocked though if the Masters is pretty much the one major that he plays for the rest of his life. And, yeah. and maybe that's what it's going to become is he just plays the Masters. And I wouldn't necessarily say that there's no shot that he won't ever win again. Like I'm not gonna put I made that I made that bet a long time ago and I lost. Yeah. I made that bet a long time ago and I lost horrifically. So I'm actually rooting for him to win one more. Because I think if he can win one more, then I will possibly think about it. I'll have to possibly concede the Jack Nicholas argument because given what he's gone through physically, mentally, emotionally, to be able to come back and win another major after everything his body has gone through I, I think then you're also you're also going to enter into greatest athlete of all time territory he's already in the the mount rushmore but i think that if he's able to win another major i don't care where it is or even if he wins the players i'll even i'll even throw the players in there too because that's yeah. like the honorable fifth major if he's able to win that then i i do believe you really start having that conversation about is he the greatest athlete ever I agree. Um, and I really look, I'm not ruling it out. I'm not set, the way he's played golf this weekend. 
I'm encouraged to think that maybe another year out, he can be in better shape, you know? And can we just, can I just say how effing stupid it is that these guys have to walk 8,000 yards to play in this tournament? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but whether or not you can walk the course 72 holes should not determine whether or not you are good enough at golf to win the tournament. If Tiger Woods has been through major, has freaking metal rods in his lower body because he's been through devastating car accident, why can't we just get these guys a freaking car? Yeah, what, are we, what are we doing here? Especially, I mean, I understand on Thursdays and Fridays when you have a loaded field and walking, it, it helps the pace of play and all that stuff. But on Saturdays and Sundays when you've shortened the field, why wouldn't you just put people in carts? It would make the game go so much faster. Did you see Tom Watson tee off on the as the honorary group on Thursday? Mm-hmm. Tom Watson, if he didn't have to walk the course, he could still go play the Masters and probably finish like top 15. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did you see that swing? It was perfect. It was money. He spun the club back into his hand and everything after his tee shot. I was like, why can't we just get these guys golf carts already? Put them on Vespas. It doesn't yeah. have to be golf carts. Everybody gets a Vespa. Yeah, I don't. so simple. I've never understood the the need to walk the course. I, I get the the caddy aspect of it, but you can still have your caddy sit in the cart with you. He can still hand or you the, the club. caddy can have his own Vespa. No, <laughs> there you go. Oh, you yeah. mean to tell me that Augusta can't afford two hundred Vespas for the field and their caddies? Right. Yeah. Why not make the Masters that much more special? It's the only major tournament where people don't have to walk the course. Yeah. Like add an add another allure to what makes the Masters the Masters. Where would Tiger be right now if he wasn't limping around for for, you know, sixty something holes or whatever? I think he'd so be. Far. I think he'd be in the top ten. I don't I know agree. if he would. I don't know if he would be as you know. He would be competing today. I, I don't know if yeah. he would catch Scheffler, but Scotty Scheffler has put together two incredible days, Friday and Saturday. I, mm-hmm. You can't take that away from him. I don't know that anybody's catching him right now with the weather that they've had, as long as he can just keep it up today. But I do think that if you took that element away, you would be able to have guys who are excellent golfers like Tiger Woods or older guys like Tom Watson, if he still wanted to play, go out there and play and not have to worry about the wear and tear on your body. I think it would just be more interesting and more fun. But what do I know? So LeBron missed the playoffs. Man, does it feel great. Not only did he miss the playoffs, but he's not going to get the scoring title either, which I think I think it was smart for him not to come back and play those games. And I think he realized that if he showed up and played the final two games just so he could get a scoring title, he was going to get ripped so much harder than anything. Because then at that point, the LeBron defenders could no longer make the argument that, oh, no, it wasn't about the scoring title for him. He was really about winning games. If he came back and just played the last two two games of the season just so this way he could qualify. And he may not have even gotten the scoring title either because Joel Embiid just put up 45 points last night. So it, it may not have mattered. But still, it, 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 the, the whole this whole season has been probably one of my favorite basketball seasons since Michael Jordan played. Just yeah. for the fact that LeBron is not in the playoffs and I don't have to listen to it. I don't have to listen to people talking about him. I get to sit back and just enjoy the NBA playoffs for what they are. It's just glorious. Absolutely this- glorious. The Lakers' dysfunction. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. Need more coffee. The Lakers' dysfunction in general has just been so satisfying because I hate the post decision NBA. I hate it. I hate 
the Anthony Davis forcing his way out two years before his contract is up. Like, I hate that part of the NBA. And I get why casual fans and people who don't really follow the NBA, that really turns them off. It really sucks. Because when you have teams that are homegrown, like the Warriors, like, you know, the, even, the, even this Phoenix team, even though Chris Paul came over, Chris Paul didn't, like, force his way out of a team. And he's, like, 36 years old already. Like, he just made a free agent move. That's fine. It's not, it wasn't him forcing his way there to create this super team, right? It's so much easier to buy in and root for those teams that feel more organic than this total plastic Lakers team that was LeBron decided he wanted to go to L.A., he played half a season with Brandon Ingram and Julius Rando and Lonzo Ball and those guys and went, well, I don't have the patience to teach these guys how to be champions, so I need you to trade them all and get me Anthony Davis. The Lakers, at LeBron's behest, traded way too much for Anthony Davis. They won one bubble title because they had excellent role players on their team, like Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Alex Caruso and Kyle Kuzma and all these other guys. and then. Because last year didn't go so well. LeBron goes, hey, you know what? We need, I know you guys, I know you guys have a buddy heel trade going right now. I know that you're going to give up basically just Kuzma and a pick and get buddy healed. And we'll still have the two-way player in Contavious Caldwell Pope. And we'll be able to re-sign Alex Caruso. And buddy heel will provide the shooting that we need. But you know what I'd really like instead is a non-shooter, poor defender, guy who doesn't understand how to play basketball if he's not the centerpiece of a fast-breaking team in Russell Westbrook. And I'd like to give up every single remaining asset that we possess to get him. Could you do that for me, please? And they did. And now the Lakers have missed the playoffs. And everybody wants to talk about it's not just LeBron's fault. And Anthony Davis came in heavy and got hurt and didn't play well. And Russ was bad and all of these things. But you know what that all comes down to, Christopher? What? It all comes down to LeBron James having to have his way mm-hmm. in yet another stop. And we've seen once again that if it's not Hall of Famers, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, GM LeBron does not work. Yeah, he doesn't. I mean, and, and you also forgot that that they could have had DeMar DeRozan, who's having an MVP year for your Bulls. Yep. They could have had him, and he didn't want that. It, and that's the thing. That's the that's the the crux of this whole thing is that you can't blame him for what he did on the court. Because he was arguably an MVP. If they won more games, he would have been in the MVP conversation. He you was, can blame him for not playing any defense. Defense, yes. Offensively speaking, though, it's not his fault that the Lakers were losing games. Defensively, yes, I will give you that. But it's the fact that, once again, he took a team. He has stripped it to nothing. He did it in Miami. He did it in Cleveland when he went back to Cleveland. And he's done it now in L.A., where he has stripped there's no parts left. And the fact that there were people, he had all the people out there during the All-Star break talking about how, oh, you know, it's it's BS that the Lakers aren't going to try and make a move. Why would Rob Palenka make a move? What's the point? Yeah. Like, and there's, there's nothing left. You're just going to keep trading away future draft picks for the potential that you guys might make it to the second round? You're not going to win a championship. You don't and we're have- talking about trading that to go get John Wall. It's right. not as if there was some like great trade out there. You're trading 
Westbrook's contract and a first round pick to get a guy who hasn't played basketball in two years. Exactly. Exactly. It, it's just, it's, and, and now the question comes up of who's going to stay in LA. Is LeBron going to stay in LA? I think he does. I, I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't I, think I he really has a don't. choice. Um, but everyone's like, oh yeah, the Lakers have to get off Westbrook's contract. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> like, who's going to want that? You have a better chance of trading Anthony Davis and getting something back for him than you do getting rid of Russell Westbrook. I, who the hell is going to take that contract? Unless Houston takes it for some reason. Maybe Oklahoma City again? I don't know. I don't know another team, though, that's going to be – um, all right, the Knicks are stupid enough to do something like that. But I, I, I just – I don't know how, how you drop Russell Westbrook at this point. I think they're stuck with him. I just want to point out that if the Lakers had just stuck with Lonzo Ball – and Julius Randle, and, and, or not even Randle. Let's say Randle's. I don't really like Julius Randle. But Lonzo, Ingram, Kuzma, all these guys that they just shipped off, they'd have a better team right now around LeBron James than they do with Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, I don't know. I, I, it's so great. It's just, to me, it's just, it's fantastic. And this, this, by the way, that, that whole goat conversation, you can kiss that goodbye. This is like, exactly what I was about to say. That, that goat conversation. Here's, here's the thing, folks. For those of you out there, and I know that there's some of you, you younger people out there who love LeBron. You can say what you want about how many times he's been in the postseason, how many finals he's been to. Go ahead. Give, give me all of that. It's fine. They've extended the amount of teams that can make the playoffs. Imagine if there was the play-in tournament when Jordan was on the Wizards. If you don't believe that Jordan would have gotten into the into the play-in tournament, number one. Number two, probably won the play-in tournament and got those teams into the postseason, you're out of your mind. You're just completely out of your mind. So the fact that they've extended the amount of playoff teams, and again, LeBron trashed it last year. Um, and then couldn't even get in this year. He couldn't even get in this year. Completely cripples his go conversation. It's done. It's over. It's been, I mean, to me, it's been over ever since he entered the league. There was no conversation, but now it's done. Look, man, he's Carl Malone with a couple of titles. <laughs> That's it. He's Carl Malone with a couple of titles. You're saying right now? Yeah. Oh, okay. LeBron James is Carl Malone with a couple of rings. Congratulations. You played with Dwayne Wade and won two. You won one in Cleveland, and you got lucky in the bubble in 2020 where the league was a total mess. And I'm not saying I'm not one of those people that's like the bubble tight championship doesn't count. It's still a championship. It was yep. a different set of difficult circumstances. It still counts, but, but it wasn't a normal championship. And when he's had the opportunity to win normal titles, here's the reality. LeBron has one definitively decisively two championships. He's had the most epic collapse we've ever seen in the finals by a star player against Dallas in 2011. He won the bubble title. The title in Cleveland only happened because Draymond Green punched him in the balls. If Draymond Green doesn't get suspended for that game, the Cleveland Cavaliers lose in six. You'll never tell me otherwise. You'll never convince me otherwise. 
Draymond was so important to those Warriors teams. And the Cavs just didn't have anywhere near the talent to compete with that Golden State roster. I don't care how many times you've been to the finals. How many times have you won? Right. And let's not forget the fact that the second title in Miami was a complete suck out by Ray Allen making that three in game six. Mm-hmm. And LeBron played like trash in that game. That's the thing that everyone forgets because everyone's like, oh, we played a great game seven. Yeah, but game seven never should have happened if Popovich didn't make that insane move, his worst coaching decision Taking ever. Duncan off the floor. Taking Duncan off the floor, that never happens. Nope, I agree. So, I mean, it, it's – I think his legitimate title – is the first one in Miami that he won in Miami was a legitimate title. They beat yeah, up on, 12. yeah, beat up on a young, young Thunder roster, and the one that he got in the bubble. I will count that legitimate because they were clearly the best team in the bubble. It wasn't even close. Yeah, it really. The, Heat, the 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 only problem I have with the bubble title is the Heat were so injured. Jimmy Butler was on one leg. Bam was hurt. You know, he, you know, Hero and Duncan Robinson were a mess. Like the Heat were a mess by Game Two of that Finals series. If yeah. the Bucks had played them, if you know, like if any other team in the East had gotten through of like the top tier teams, I think that's. I don't know that the Lakers win that t- that title. Agreed. All right, you got anything else? Or are we good? It's just very satisfying to see the fall of LeBron, and I just. I just want to say to all of the people that will listen to this show that believe that LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan, it is my great pleasure to tell you that you don't know anything about basketball and you should go watch some YouTube videos. <laughs> I, I Honestly, I think that should be required required viewing for anyone who wants to like get into NBA conversations, debate, podcasts, things like that. Everyone should be forced to watch basketball back in the 80s and 90s before you start making your conclusions about who are the greatest of all time. I agree. All right, everyone, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the MLB Takeover Podcast brought to you by the Takeover Sports Network. Please make sure to give this video a like and subscribe to the Takeover Sports YouTube channel. And while you're there, don't forget to check out all the other great shows from the network, including the SEC Takeover, College Basketball Takeover, the Big 12 Takeover, the Draft Takeover, and the Big 10 Takeover. You can find this show and all the others from the network anywhere you get your podcasts. Also be sure to give this show a follow on Twitter. We are at MLB Takeover. And you can find Matt at Matthew Daniel and myself at Chris underscore LaValle underscore on Twitter as well. And that's it. That's all we have for you. On behalf of Matt, I'm Chris. We'll see you all again next week. Let's go Sox!